And we're back. It's time for another edition of the Happy Hour Hangout Podcast. I am your host, Stephen, and I am accompanied by uh, my out-of-town partner, Travis Neal. Travis, where are you at today? I am in beautiful Paducah, Kentucky this evening, and it is uh, not so beautiful today. It is downpouring rain. Uh, I can hardly even see out the hotel window, so... We're uh, we're doing a, a podcast remote, I think, is what the uh, what the big timers say. So we're we're remote today, Steve. Yeah, this is the farthest away we've been from each other from doing this, even though we've never <laughs> done this together whatsoever. So <laughs> pretty exciting stuff there. Um, so we've got a pretty special guest today. Um, this is a guy that we have known for going on twelve years now. Um, who we brought on because you and I have just started going back into the gym. And anytime we're in the gym with this guy, he kicks our ass. Uh, I'd like to introduce <laughs> everybody to Brian Saladay. We call him B Salad in the streets. Brian, say hi to people. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? How you guys? Good. Good. Doing good. Do you like that intro? I feel pretty good about that intro. Yeah. Uh, I like that. All right. Let's go ahead and uh, let's just let's just go right into this thing because we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Um, Travis, why don't you go ahead and hit up that that taste test for me? Yeah, so uh, I mentioned at the open, I'm in uh, I'm in Paducah, and I thought, you know, Steve's been kind of showing me up here the last few weeks, rocking these uh, Wisconsin beers. Um, so I uh, I thought I'm not even going to pack beers with me. I'm going to find me a a place here uh, in Paducah that I could pick up something local. Uh, and so I found something local that I can guarantee, Steve, unless you find yourself in Kentucky for an episode, you're not doing this one on a podcast ever. So without further ado, I picked up a West 6th Brewing Company, uh, IPA. They're out of beautiful Lexington, Kentucky, home of the Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, and, uh, and they are, uh, the beer's actually pretty good, dude. I, I, I popped it open 7% ABV, uh, very, pretty strong for an IPA, honestly. Uh, but I like it. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, so on their website, I, I enjoyed this. So it pairs well, uh, with two types of food, Steve, and it's, uh, Mexican fare, which, all right, I can, I can get behind that. Uh, the second one is Kentucky hot brown. Do you have any idea what Kentucky hot brown is? I have no idea what the hell that is. <clears throat> v salad, any idea? Uh, um, I mean, I do have friends. Or I, I do have friends, and actually two cousins, and an uncle and aunt in Kentucky and in Lexington. So I probably should know, but I don't know. <laughs> so it's a it's a hot sandwich, and they call it an American hot sandwich, uh, and it's got. Uh, Louisville hot brown is so it's got like a hot sauce of some sort. Um, so here we go: open-faced chicken, baked chicken, or turkey breast with bacon covered in creamy mon- Mornay Mourn- sauce. I don't know what that is. Baked or broiled until the bread is crisp. Uh, so actually, the pictures of it not too bad. Uh, but a Kentucky hot brown and this beer are an excellent combination. Fun facts all the way around, Steve. Um, and then I had a, uh, a bit of trivia for you, Steve, and uh, MB, I, I hope you, uh, maybe you'll know this one too. Uh, does anybody on the podcast know how many states border our friends to the east, Kentucky? I can't how answer because I, 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 I already saw it. Seven. Yeah, seven. Now, you just pull that out of your oh. butt or are you a geography guy? <laughs> 
No, I just kind of pictured it and guessed. Well, I'll be damned. That's pretty fantastic. Nice that's, job, That's dude. excellent. I don't think I would have come up with seven. But, yes, the answer is seven. So, hot dog there, right? So, mm-hmm. I, okay. I can uh, rattle them all off. We've got uh, West Virginia to the east. We have Virginia to the southeast. Tennessee to the south. Missouri to the west. Illinois and Indiana to the northwest. And Ohio to the north and northeast. So, those are a little fun facts about our friends in Kentucky. You ever find yourself down here in Paducah? Uh, recommend you picking up a West 6th Brewing IPA. It's delicious. Cheers to you guys. Lexington or Louisville, Travis? Which one? Which one Which uh, one would you go to? Which one do you like better? Oh, oh, if I was traveling, I got you. Um, well, I'm a big college football guy. I've been to Lexington twice, so I would put Lexington on – on the list you have the bourbon trail uh which is nearby which makes for an excellent day trip prior to the football game uh kentucky underrated for a college football environment they packed the house their team has been meh kind of marginal but mark stoops got them playing better so they're uh, they're on their way back up um but uh yeah great bar scene in lexington um i've got positive reviews all the way around of lexington <laughs> college town party town the whole bit so my hat's in lexington well done, well done. All right, Brian, it is your turn. You've got a you've got a doozy of a taste test, so I'm just gonna let you roll. I do, I, I, I do. I threw something a little random, and so uh, the listeners who don't know, um, the two gentlemen that are hosting this podcast are also Lamakai Alphas, uh, where I both met them in college. Southeast Missouri, a bottle of a Blue Chair Bay left from uh, the wedding a little more than a year ago. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Blue Chair Bay is a rum made from Kenny Chesney Distillery in the uh, Virgin Islands, actually specifically uh, St. John is where he does it. So tonight I am drinking uh, coconut rum by Kenny Chesney's Blue Chair Bay. Oh, my God. (laughs) I love it. What great taste test. (laughs) I'm I'm already sick to my stomach. Ugh. Can't. I, I like got that. some Stella's upstairs, Steve, if you want me to grab one for you. <laughs> what? I said I got some Stella's upstairs if you want me to grab me one. <laughs> no. no, you're good, man. I just, I, coconut. Ugh. Anyway. All right. I'm up. So I've been, uh, I've been criticized for doing really long taste tests, so I'm going to shorten it a little bit. <laughs> thank you, Steve. And our guests and our, uh, our listeners, thank you as well. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Sorry, I'm passionate about the beer I drink. <laughs> so today, I am drinking the St. Archer Gold Brown Ale. You ever had this before, Travis? No, I haven't. Never heard of it. Brian? I've heard of it, but I have not had it. This beer is great. I've drank this a ton of times, so this really isn't a new experience for me. Um, but you can find this uh, brewery all the way out in sunny San Diego, California, which is actually where Brian's bachelor party was. Fun fact for everybody. And uh, it's 4.2%, so I'm always keeping it in, my, in the fours, while Travis keeps up in the sevens to nines. Um, <laughs> and so this is a craft brewery, and they describe themselves as the ultimate light beer. So think about all the light beers you drink, the Bud Lights, the Coors Lights, the Miller Lights, all that, the Mick Ultras. They consider themselves more light than, than those. Uh, it's founded by a man by the name of Josh Landon um, in 2013. It was actually bought by Miller Coors in 2015. Um, and their message is pretty, 
pretty simple. They wanted to come together with a bunch of creative minds. So they brought in world-class brewers, artists, musicians, professional surfers, skateboarders, snowboarders, anything you can, anybody you can think of at an artistic level. And they all came together to kind of create this image of St. Archer Gold because uh, they all love craft beer. Um, it's pretty great on the light, uh, you know, if you're, you're cutting calories, like uh, your boy's trying to do here, uh, 95 calories. So if you find yourself accidentally drinking some of those, you can you actually might feel okay with yourself. Um, hmm. But I've got one fact for you, and I'm done, I swear. <laughs> did, did you know that when Miller Coors bought St. Archer Brewery, it's the very first craft brewery that Miller Coors owned? No, I did you gotta, not. You got to think about how long Miller and then Miller Coors has been around as the mm -hmm. very first craft brewery that they ever owned. So as my taste test, keeping it fresh for you guys. Cheers to y'all. Cheers. Mm. Cheers. Good stuff. Yeah, you keep drinking that coconut rum there, Brian. <clears throat> <laughs> I All wish right. I, you would give me a heads up because we hit up two different... If I knew this was going to be the one you're going to pull me this episode, I would have hit that one. We'll save that for our uh, bourbon special sometime down the road. <laughs> all right, B. So, obviously, you know, we uh, all three of us have known each other for quite some time. Uh, but, real quick for the audience, why don't you kind of give a little introduction of yourself? A little introduction of myself? Yep. Yeah. Um, so, born and raised in St. Louis. Um, I met uh, Stephen Travis, like I said before, at uh, Southeast Missouri State, where I got a bachelor's in exercise science, a minor in nutrition. Um, after graduating, I went to work for a private personal training studio called Hammer Bodies, which uh, there I worked with a lot of high school athletes, collegiate athletes, uh, minor league and professional athletes, as well as a lot of business owners, executives, and um, high level like CEOs, like David Farr for Emerson used to work out there. And, different people kind of like that and um kind of from there um as i was I, w I worked there for a little over five i developed a also a love of not only working with people to improve their overall fitness level but really kind of diving into working with people with chronic pain management because this may sound a little weird but i kind of find like people working with people to for either weight loss or even sports like athletes, it's very, um, it can be very cut and paste. And it, it, there's not a lot of problem solving specifically for me. Like I do enjoy it, but honestly, I find it almost too simple. So when I, when I was working, I went back to uh, get my degree as a physical therapist assistant, which um, I'm now currently, I work at Missouri Baptist uh, outpatient. And then uh, back when I was 27, I'm 31 now. I started my own uh, personal training business when I left uh, Hammer Bodies to start working at Missouri Baptist. That's cool. I like that. I uh, I knew about Hammer Bodies, but uh, I didn't know that you're currently at uh, out at Mobab. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's good. So what uh what, what what's the job at Mobab uh, entail? What what are you doing out there? So for Missouri Baptist, I do a, I kind of do a couple things. I wear different hats. Um, I do outpatient physical therapy, so kind of what you would see just if, if anyone went for uh, traditional outpatient therapy. Um, most people kind of associate, not sure what the, what the listeners kind of think when they think outpatient physical therapy, but um, what's very common and like big change as far as like an athletico, uh, where I used to work prior to Missouri Baptist, you think like a lot of knee replacements, hip replacements, things like that. 
And we mm -hmm. do do those at Missouri Baptist, but I would say probably 80% of our clientele is actually uh, a lot of pain, pain management. Um, and as far as like balance and stability work, because most of our client, our patients, most of our patients are 60 and older. So we get, we get a lot of neuro as far as like MS or um, other neurological issues. And then we also get uh, a lot of people that have um, vestibular problems. Like, so that's another balance thing, but that's more with the inner ear as far as like kind of how that, those natural hairs are lining up. Um, and we do also other kind of things as far as working with overall conditioning. So it's a much different approach. We do get, like I said, probably 20 to 25% of the total outpatient uh, population they work with is joint replacements, but it's much more focused on the senior population as far as uh, chronic pain management, allowing them to keep doing the things that pretty much, you know, you and I and the, the three of us are really doing right now is focusing on really building that nest egg to when we get older, really enjoying um, our, our free time when we get older, when we can fully retire and travel and do those kind of things at leisure. Um, and then, so I said, I, I have, wear different hats. So I do physical therapy. And then other than physical therapy, they actually have a discharge program called the fitness program where they actually, patients who get discharged from physical therapy, there's two um, therapists who perform um, fitness, like conditioning um, outside of the, the physical therapy program. So when a patient comes to therapy, say they come for 12 weeks for a rotator cuff uh, repair. And then afterwards they decide they want to come for like overall conditioning and strengthening. Afterward, they can meet with me or Carrie, who's my coworker. And uh, we're the two therapists that, that do the FIT program. And we just do overall conditioning and strengthening and pretty much kind of whatever they want to. And that's private pay. And then I also go upstairs um, and work up on the rehab floor. Now the rehab floor is a lot of like uh, CVAs, which are like, strokes stroke patients you get a lot of people with um that have amputees so it's it's a very the, the rehab hospital is upstairs in the hospital so it's much more um i would say acute and people that are really they've either had a surgery and they've had trouble recovering from or like i said we get a lot of strokes and, and people who are really kind of focusing on getting discharged from the hospital and back at home um probably like some of the most impactful work, honestly. I mean, I love my job as an outpatient therapist, but uh, some of my most impactful work I've ever seen has actually been on the rehab floor, which is kind of a byproduct of working in MOBAP. But to just give like a quick example before totally ranting is, um, there was a gentleman I worked with who had a severe CVA, a severe stroke, and he was bedridden, couldn't do physical therapy for about four weeks, couldn't get up, like it, just could do like a sit to stand, like a sit to standing frame. A sit to standing frame is kind of like a, Think of like a a, a, a a cage with wheels with a harness where you can lift them up. Or there's mm -hmm. another one where it's kind of like a, a it's like a, a frame on wheels where kind of the pads go behind, beneath their their calves and their butt, and it kind of pushes them into hip extension where they kind of stand up all the way. And so he could that's like all he could do for about four weeks. And then we got him into a oh light gate and a light gate. So a gate meaning in the medical terms, gate means walking. A light gate is a rolling frame with a harness like you would you would wear like rock climbing, but it, it attaches to the top of this frame and there's handles in the front of it. And if you're in this harness, you can't fall in. you can reduce the amount of pressure or mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, the amount of pressure that's coming through the joints as far as it has different percentages. As the person gets stronger, you can make the resistance pulling from the top of the light gate harder. So there's actually more 
mimicking actual walking. So we got to the point where like the first day we actually got him out of bed in the light gate to try to just to stand kind of on his own for a couple minutes and do that. We, he was only able to stand for maybe like two to three minutes. And about 12 weeks later, when he got discharged from therapy, he was walking with a wheeled walker with no assistance, just a hand on the belt. And we were able to go 250 feet for two laps. We'd take 250 feet, sit down and rest for a few minutes, 250 feet all on his own. So, I mean, I mean, you can't, I mean, that's just quality of life right there. You can't beat that. That's uh, that's awesome. And I, I was having a hard time understanding what you meant between uh, problem solving and um, just like normal, quote, normal physical therapy for joint stuff. But as soon as you got into explaining that, like it made perfect sense. Right. Because like you get a knee replacement. That's very routine. You probably do the same, you know, call it four to five exercises over and over and over to build that strength where these other patients, it sounds like there's a little bit more creativity and freedom and how you're going to get them, you know, from where they are to where you want them to be. So, yeah. Um, so that's, yeah. that's cool. I, I'm glad that you, you kind of indirectly answered that, uh, that question for me. <laughs> I was yeah. thinking, and man, it, what is he it, talking about? But that makes sense. Yeah. And, and it kind of holds true like the same with like athletes. I mean, there's a lot of, when you, when you learn how to like, like, um, when you learn, when you're, when you're training a kid for like the NFL combine or the hockey combine or something like that, they have certain drills and you're trying to get their bench press up or their, or their 40 yard dash up or whatever it is. It's very cut and paste. You know, your hip needs to be here. Your back needs to be here. Your toes need to be here. Drop your hip, turn your hip, you know, this, that there's, there's very technically technical things that you learn, but it's very copy and paste, copy and paste. Where if you get someone with a stroke, you know, they could respond to, to learning how to walk again, a hundred different ways. So mm -hmm. it's, it's in which it's, it's very rewarding to one, be able to help someone with that quality of life, but two, to be able to really use those skills kind of like, you know, I mean, I, you guys probably do it just as much in your work as two. You probably enjoy the actual, not just monotony of having to do the repetitive stuff, but the actual mm -hmm. things you can dive in on and actually use your learning or the, the learning you've used either in school or that you've learned from work on actually how to solve that problem. It's very rewarding, I find. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you 100% there. I think that that's where that's where the most, you know, rewarding stuff comes from. It's, you know, I mean, I know you you've helped me along the way with my my personal personal health and I'm sure it's very similar with every patient, you know, if you want to want to lose weight, it's a calorie in, calorie out. What's the difference? And, you know, you can I mean, obviously you can slice it and do a couple different deals, but basically it's kind of, I mean, body's a body, right? And so um, I hear you on that. I, I, I'm especially interested and wish we had a ton more time to dive in with the chronic pain patients because yeah, those, yeah, yeah. I, we, we work in a, in a similar, uh, similar line. My, the, the device that the company that I work for does is, is for patients with chronic pain. And so I'm sure I would love to hear more about, you know, quickly, if you don't mind the, the similarities and what, like a patient with like low back pain, you know, chronic low back pain, what, what's, what are some things that you would uh, drive that patient to try to do? And what are, what are you looking to accomplish with that patient? Well, so if it's a chronic pain patient or lower back, I mean, there's several, there's so many factors that could be causing lower back pain. It could be neurological, um, mm -hmm. it could be musculoskeletal. Um, what's very interesting about chronic pain is which most people don't know is, and it's not talked about very often is our body, so our, our, our brain, when we, our brain looks for patterns. Our, we're, we're, it's, it's, it's a great thing that our bodies and our minds have developed is to look for patterns. But unfortunately, it's become a huge human default where we look for patterns. And it works with our brain kind of like when they talk about this phantom pain. Travis, I'm, I'm, oh, yeah. 
because you, you've heard so the people who are not who are listening who haven't heard of phantom pain phantom pain is like if you have um an amputation uh say below the knee and you still have pain like in your ankle air where your ankle would be but you don't actually have an mm-hmm. ankle anymore so, yeah. so what we have found with therapy in the last few years and working with physicians and everything in the medical field we found is say you have uh, lower back pain and you're used to when you twist to the right you always have pain well you could actually go to physical so it causes one your brain it, it gets used to the when I turn this way it causes pain when I turn this way it causes pain so your brain one looks for reminders but then two it it also there's causes a chemical reaction in your brain which over time actually causes a little bit of depression and what that ha- what happens when that happens is your brain actually learns when you someone goes to physical therapy to actually improve their back and say they've totally fixed like the therapist fixes whatever was wrong they go back they have an MRI they have an X-ray everything musculoskeletal looks great they strengthen the muscles to stabilize the back your brain will still tell you sometimes if you you still have pain even though there's nothing wrong but your brain has actually fooled you into thinking you still have pain because. Your brain is looking, when I do this activity, it causes pain. So sometimes you have to step back as a therapist and and talk to people to figure out, you know, is there a mental aspect of that that's actually causing it versus a physical yeah. part? But there's so many different parts to what could be causing pain. I mean, it could be, a, I mean, kind of like a rotator cuff. I mean, there is about, when they do x-rays on people in their 50s, there is like 50% of people, and I think it's like between 50 and 70% of people that are over 50 will have a bulge disc. And then they'll show the patient oh, the wow. x-ray that they have a bulge disc, and then they'll say, well, that's what's causing my back pain. And like only 70, 70% of the time, that's what it is. Usually it's a muscular imbalance. It's a postural thing. It has uh-huh. something totally, totally different. So it's... That's fascinating. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> when, when you look at back pain, you really have to kind of... It's... um. Any, any kind of thing, especially a back pain, you really have to kind of, unfortunately, they don't like, uh, sometimes they call us physical terrorists, not physical therapists, because <laughs> we actually have, so we'll actually have to cause pain to figure out what, what it is. Yeah, like, yeah. If, if it's neurological, like maybe we have to put you in, in ex, if, like extension is when your back is straight, inflection is when it's, it's rounded forward. Like uh-huh. we're going to have to do some ex- activities to maybe put you into flexion or put you in extension or put you into spinal rotation was so like we actually want to see what causes the pain so so a lot of times we actually have to cause pain to figure out how to take away the pain so i mean yeah and and you guys (laughs) steve over there because he's he's a desk jockey he knows better than anybody you know sitting at a desk all day is one of the worst things you can actually do for your back because it's the most compressive position you can do for your back so you know i wouldn't be surprised my my back actually hurts right now so Do what? Yeah. So my back actually hurts right now. So thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, so I, I've, I've been listening to you really kind of go into a lot of great detail about about um, your work at MOBAP. And there's a lot of just passion that's, that's behind it. And so I, I have one final question regarding that. And it'll kind of help me uh, go into the direction that I want to go here. So what what is it about this field that really drew you to it? Um, and, and what describe the, the fact that you've got so much passion for this? Um, I think honestly, what it kind of what, what kind of stems from is uh, so for the listeners who don't know, um, I am uh, legally blind. So what I think kind of stems from 
the field and, and health and fitness is honestly along the way I have received a lot of help from different individuals and I've seen the value in that so so incredibly over the years so when I get to ha harness a piece of that where I get to help someone else and improve the quality of their life I think that's initially what drew me into a health or fitness or or wellness or whatever you want to call it field the medical field whatever is the really the enjoyment of being able to help somebody else because I've seen what it can do when somebody helps me. So being able to give somebody the ability to be able to do something that they potentially weren't able to do before or haven't for many years is, um, is extremely rewarding. And I kind of saw that going in. Obviously, you know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty, which it is because, you know, when you're, I mean, let's be frank here, when you're 18, you don't know. I mean, you think you know everything, but you really don't know shit. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> I thought I would know what I wanted to do. Oh, yeah, this, this will be kind of cool. But, I mean, I, I really learned stepping back from it now that, like yeah, that, I mean, I had a general idea, but I don't have, it didn't have anywhere near as much of an idea as I do now. So I, I'm kind of excited, honestly, to see, I mean, I'm 31 now. I'm kind of excited to see what I'll know when I'm 40 or 41. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought the eyesight up because it's actually the direction I was going towards. And, you know, so you were talking about how you are, uh, you know, legally blind, but you can't, you can't see. Um, it's just very, very limited. And I actually remember um, when back, back when we were in college. And for those that don't know, we actually, Travis, Brian, and myself, we were sweet mates freshman year. And and so you used to tell us about how um, to be able to go around campus, you had to memorize the terrain. And then, you know, once you figured it out, you had it just like that. It never left left, left your brain. And I that's always stuck with me. And anytime I, I, I tell people uh, who's met you and about you, I tell you the, how, how cool I, I find that of, of your ability to do that um but what 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 i find the most the best part about this story of yours is that you have found a lot of success in this field you know with something that that probably would hamper majority of of people that that deal with what you deal with um can you can you kind of go into a little bit about kind of what you go through on a day-to-day -day basis you know dealing with that and 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 just kind of how how you overcome it because I, I think yeah. that's that's the best part about this whole thing. Yeah, and I mean, so I mean, obviously there is a lot of um, there's a lot of challenges, and um, I mean, we all have our challenges in different areas. It's just you know, kind of picking your your poison on what actually your challenge is. Um, I would say for me, I, kind of one of my um, compensators is as I I do plan quite a bit. I try to plan as much as I can ahead of time um, because obviously the more you have pre-planned there is less opportunity for something to come arise which could disturb that so that is is something that can I, I try to do actively now obviously things happen so you have to be very flexible and you have to understand that's going to be something that comes along really with 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 life in general and um as i've as i've gotten older i've really noticed i mean if you are not able to adapt and respond i mean it doesn't really matter what field you're in you're not going to do very well uh, it doesn't matter if it's a you know a field you work in or a relationship. If you can't adapt, you, you're not going to be able to do well. So being able to learn different ways along the way to, to critically think. If if I if I'm unable to do this, how am I going to figure out a problem? And I think that kind of rolled over honestly into my therapy field. So I guess to for some examples of things like maybe I use on a daily basis. If people want like a hard example of something I use, um, so like I use. Uh, Zoom text on my uh, computer at work and then my computer at home 
which is a think of kind of like a, a a digital magnifier but basically what it is is all it does is it increases my damn dog i'm sorry but um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it basically increases the uh the volume on the on the screen of of what you're looking at so i actually so i have glaucoma and aniridia so glaucoma is the increased ocular pressure in the eye and i have aniridia so aniridia is when you're when you're born without a pupil and uh, the, being so your pupil for people who don't know uh, the eye very well the pupil is what it allows your eye to be able to adjust to light so uh, when i look at things on a computer on this software that increases the uh, the text or the pictures on the computer it's not an actual thing like a lens in front of the camera that it's it's actually the software on the computer that does it. And uh, I, I, it, it zooms in and out as I need be. And then also it changes the color. So I'm more light sensitive. So it's it's white letters on a black background versus most people look at black colors on a white background. So it's easier for me to see white on black. Um, I have a, a Ruby, which is, I use it at work. It's a digital magnifier. It's about the size of an iPhone. And I use that for reading uh, like documents that we need to do at like Missouri Baptist. For uh, per se, like if somebody has to fill out um, a, a, like a Tenetti test or something like that, where they're you're, you're filling maybe the Tenetti test isn't the best example, but like a, 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 an evaluation that would be the best. So like after someone is discharged from therapy, they want to know um, how the, the, the hospital wants to know how their overall experience was. So you'll you'll go through a questionnaire with them, like what could have we done differently? How did you know, were you treated well? The whole like, you know, HR, you know, BS thing where they got to make sure that everybody was treated like an angel. But um, so like reading <laughs> paper documents is, is what I use for my Ruby. So those are um, two things I, I use on a definitely use on a day to day basis uh, would be um, a Zoom text for, for that. And then like my Ruby for that. But look, as, as far as like actual like um, like a, I'm trying to think of like another day to day examples of things um, that I work with also kind of. Being very, um, for me, kind of like a organized. Organized is a huge thing because if I know where something is, it's very easy for me to find it. So it's allowed me to be more efficient with time. So that is something I definitely use, whether it's at home, if it's, uh, you know, if it's um, the uh, maybe my desk at work or something like that. So really being focused on being hypervigilant about being organized is something that I focus on. So and then I, I have I have minimal fact like like. If someone wanted to know, like, here's an example, like, I wear a hat a lot of times when I go out, and that's because, not like I'm trying to look cool. If I was trying to look cool, I would flip it upside down and backwards and wear a visor, like the pipe guys at CMO. <laughs> <laughs> but, All right, but, call out, I like it. <laughs> but but, it, uh, but I, I wear a hat to reduce the glare. Um, and fortunately, there is two big benefits um, for me that I have noticed in my life with uh, actually a blessing in disguise with my vision. One is um, both of you guys probably can notice, but from the wedding, you know, I mean, I have people that are family and friends, especially friends from all different backgrounds. And I think what my vision has forced me to be able to do as a blessing in disguise is really when I choose friends like you guys or choose, or choose to pursue people of who are, I, I don't specifically look at who, like who's the coolest guy or who's not the coolest guy. Obviously you guys are very cool. But I really look at like the characteristics of the person, and I and I feel feel very comfortable at that, about that because there's so many people that when you talk to, they have all these people in their call log on their phone. But if you ask them, like if you had a problem at 2 a.m., how many of those people could you call? 
And I can honestly say that everyone in my phone, if I had a problem and I, and I had to call them at 2 a.m., they would answer and they'd be more than happy to help. So I would say that's the biggest blessing in disguise. And the second mm-hmm. one is because I can't see the damn ball after I hit it in golf, there's no reason for me to lift <laughs> my head. So I keep my head down every time I hit the golf ball, baby. <laughs> I, I, I have actually seen that's you awesome. golf. It's actually pretty decent. So I will give you the points on that one. I keep my head um, down. I keep my head down. I can't <laughs> see where the damn thing goes anyway. That's no point. There's no point for me to look up. <laughs> that is awesome. I'm sure it's middle of fairway every time, too. Isn't it? That, that's, where, that's where I find my ball most of the time. Is it? Totally kidding. Yeah, I will. I will also. I will also say that it, even with you know, you just gave a really great rundown of, of what you deal yeah. with on on, on a, just a side level. But regardless of all that, you still figure out what the hell I'm doing wrong whenever I'm lifting and you put my ass through the ringer in the gym. So <laughs> you clearly see the things you need to see. So <laughs> I will uh, give you more points points for that one. So. Um, but what I also wanted to kind of jump into is, so obviously you've, you've got kind of your physical therapy career, but you've actually also gone into business for yourself, um, for, for a couple of years now and it's called standard health. I believe that's still what it's called. Correct. It is. All right. Um, so I love, I love the idea of people running their own business. Um, so what I want to kind of, uh, talk about first is, what made you decide to kind of get in, into this kind of line of work, essentially? Okay, so that's a good, that's a good question. So it was kind of a loaded question, honestly. So when I when I first graduated from the PTA program, I was still working for um, Hammer Bodies. I could not get a uh, a PTA job, and unfortunately, I hate to say it when I sound because it sounds slightly bitter when I when I say it, and you would think. With being um, people that are in their healthcare field, they would be very understanding. But honestly, I met up a, with a lot of resistance as far as trying to get a job. I probably went on between 10 and 20 interviews somewhere there, and there was a lot of concern if I would be able to do my job appropriately with my vision. Um, so, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take the time to you know call out different people or things like that. It's it's behind me, and I'm not sure. gonna worry about it. But um, and, and honestly, there was even um, a lot of speed bumps. Um, got that damn dog. Uh, there was a lot. Of, there's a lot of. There was a lot of speed bumps um, with uh, with my current job in Missouri Baptist in the beginning. So, but before I got I got to Missouri Baptist, honestly, what happened was is I was at this point where I was kind of done with where I was working, and um, I wanted to go out on my own. Because honestly, I couldn't find work as a PTA. So my options were, I was like, I could try to still work for the same person who I kind of was kind of mentally done with, or I could go out on my own. So I went out, I was kind of forced to go out on my own. It was kind of one of those other blessing in disguise, honestly, for me. And um, it, it, ended up, it ended up actually turning out very, very well. I mean, the first year was rough. Um, Cause I mean, I, I was barely making any money when, when I, when I left, I mean, I just cold Turkey left the job and, and went into business for myself cause I couldn't find work as a PTA. So, um, and I, I think what a lot of people don't understand is before they go into business for themselves, it's kind of, it's very publicized on, um, you know, YouTube and Instagram, Facebook, you know, different social media sites. And, you know, you, you'll see some guy or some girl and they're going on about being an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship is great, but I, I, I think most people, before they really dive into entrepreneurship, is they really understand that it is, it's it's really not for, for everyone. I mean, 
I can I can see those traits in, in you two guys, but it's really not in uh, the cards for everyone because I mean there's a lot of hours that, that are in the play. I mean most people aren't willing to work to work Saturdays and Sundays. I mean when you are I mean, you you're making your own paycheck. So if you don't make the sale or you don't get a new client or customer or whatever, you don't get paid as much. So um, and there's a massive learning curve. I mean. You know, they, only one percent of businesses succeed after after ten years. I mean, then you have the cards substantially not in your favor. And the, honestly, the biggest reason is is because most people think, well, I'll just quit my job and I'll I'll start a business. But you have to understand, there's so many people already in your field. Unless you're like you know the lucky ones like an Elon Musk or a Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos or someone like that. But for you know everyone else who's starting a business. You have to be able to carve out a specific niche for yourself, and there's such a learning curve as far as finding out the marketing that works for you, deciding how you're going to, you know, increase your product, how to retain customers, um, how to, you, you, I mean, you have to learn how to how how a balance sheet works. If you don't know how to learn how the balance sheet works, then you're not going to know what your profit margins are, how much money you're making, and how much money you can spend for marketing, or or um, how much you can spend for retention plan like programs as far as like rewards programs or things like that or different areas to expand. When you start a business, there's so much there's you have you're basically you start out just punching and seeing what's hitting. You try one rabbit hole and you fall in and nothing and that doesn't work. And you try another one and that one doesn't work. So I think being an entrepreneur is wonderful if you are up for the hours it takes to do it and if you really are doing it for the right reasons, which is yourself. If you're doing it because you want the power to say that I control my own destiny, which is a great thing to say, but it comes with a lot of burden. I mean, for I mean, the, the three of us are all married. I mean, if if Travis or Steve, if you decide to go out totally and, and run your own business, I mean, your spouse and you know Travis, you have kids. I mean, your kids are affected by that decision. So I mean, it's a big decision. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it can work out very well, but I think most people don't understand the full commitment it really does take to become successful at it. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with that wholeheartedly. I think uh, I want to hit on something that you had brought up that I'm particularly interested in yours uh, with the personal training. You mentioned carving out a niche and um, in a space that um, just frankly with you is, is super crowded. I mean, there's personal trainers at every single gym. There's, um, you know, personal training companies. I mean, there's just all these, there's a ton of, money and resources in that industry. Uh, what's, what's been kind of your, your staple to success? What, what has been, you know, your, you know, your niche, if you, if you don't mind me asking, yeah. I'm very yeah. curious how you found like, a, um, you know, it's a giant pie and to be successful it, in the industry, you just need a small, small sliver. Um, what, what is your, what's your deal? What, what is your piece of the so, pie? What are you shooting so, for? So, I mean, obviously, I mean, I haven't hit my long-term goals uh, yet as far as where I would like to, to, to go as far as my business sure. goes. I'm still very young in, in, the, in the entrepreneurial world and world business, but what, my, my, what I have found where very much works for me is so many um, trainers are focusing on, like, we talk about, like, weight loss or, mm -hmm. or building muscle or physique or whatever it is, or athletes and things like that. And those are great because they're bright and they're shiny, right? I mean, you get that, you train athletes, they're bright and they're shiny. And it's cool because you can show videos of it, you can market it, or this person lost 60 pounds and this person lost 80 pounds. And that's, that's great. But the problem is that it's, it's, a, it's a more difficult financially stable business. And the reason is, 
is so my business is my business is is the 50 and older typically people that have um chronic pain or some underlying health condition and what i found out is um before i uh give away too much of my information but i hope there's <laughs> one the trainers listening but um when i i went to market um and then that's the other thing with i mean with, like what we talked about with being an entrepreneur i mean your your, your family is involved with it too i mean emily went out to different places and helped uh, market for with, with me when i couldn't or for me so um but i was the only trained that we i i picked out every physical therapy clinic in the St. Louis area that was in an affluent area, Clayton, Ladue, Town and Country, Creve Chesterfield, the Baldwin area, um, Maryland Heights, Olivet, Ladue. I picked out all of those at Kirkwood. Um, I picked out all the affluent areas and I found out what, which physical therapy clinics were in those areas. And I went to every single one of them and I dropped off brochures. I met with the, the facility manager, which is a PT, and I spoke with them and I asked them specifically, like, hey, my, you know, here's, this is my name. This is the business I do. I specifically specialize in people that are 15 older who have an underlying health condition or they're 15 older and they just want to be able to overall maintain their quality of life. And what I found is, I don't know if you guys, do you guys know who Gary Vaynerchuk is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Gary so, V. So oh, yeah, yeah, Gary V. So oh Gary yeah, I'm v, sorry. What Gary V talks about is is it's fishing in the ponds that no one else is fishing in. And I I, I took a step back and said, you know, you see all these these guys uh, or girls or whoever in the, in the fitness industry, they're all fishing in the same pond. I was like, well, where's where are people not going for the fish? And I found I, I went to like 30 different physical therapy clinics in the in the area, and only two of them, two of them. Um, had a trainer relation. The other 28 had never had a PT talk to them. They didn't know one. So that was an instant boom for me. Another one is I was like, what a flu, because you have to understand your market. What's another one? Okay, people that do personal training are gonna have extra income. If they have extra income, they're gonna have, they're, they, they're, what do the people that have extra income do? They like, they live in nicer homes. They, they like nicer jewelry. They shop at these places. Where, where do they do? I know what they, okay, where, where would they like medically to go? I know exactly where they like medically to go. They want to see like a concierge physician. A concierge physician is someone you pay annually two to three, four thousand dollars a year and you have their cell phone number and you can call or email them whenever you want. You can go into the office and see them. So I made it a purpose to actually, actually today, I just got a referral from a new, uh, uh, from a, for a new client from a, a concierge physician. So I went around to several concierge physicians and I met with, if the, if the physician couldn't meet with me, then, then I asked for a nurse practitioner. If a nurse practitioner couldn't meet with me, then I asked to speak with the office manager. The office manager couldn't speak with me, then I'm just going to keep talking to the front desk lady until she likes <laughs> me. <laughs> so, so, so I, I made it a point to, to fish where the other fish fishermen weren't fishing. I mean, um, uh, Chad Brown at, at Brown New Balance, I mean, Older people, what do they have problems with? A lot of times they'll have feet or knee problems, right? What do those, what do those stem from? Those, those stem from, um, you know, different skeletal issues. So what are they going to do? Well, they're probably, they're probably going to want better footwear. So I made it a point. I wanted to Brown New Balance or, or up here in Creve Corps. I met with Chad, who's the franchise owner of that New Balance store. And I started a referral program for him. So I, so I, I think really finding your niche comes to finding what you love working with whether it's marketing or sales or pharmaceuticals or health and then carving out reverse engineering where you can find a spot where where 
very few people are attacking that specifically at that angle. And I mean, it, it is difficult. It, it is, but you really don't need, if, if you're the only fisherman in that pond and you catch 10 fish, it's, it's so much easier than fishing in the same pond and everybody's trying to fight over the same three fish. So yeah. I mean, yeah. And when I talked about to kind of trail back to what I was talking about before, um, why working with seniors is so much of a more financially stable business than per se, like weight, uh, like weight training specifically for muscle mass or weight loss. Once most people hit those goals, they're done with training. I, I the average personal trainer can retains a client for three and a half months in the industry. That's an industry average. And my, yes. Yeah. Three and a half months is the industry average. And my current average for retaining a client right now is a little shy of two years. That's so, awesome. so, so I, that's a I good business. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I don't need, that's another thing too. Like all, you know, you do like a, a boot camp or something where you have to keep refilling the pot, refilling the pot, refilling the pot. I mean, I don't have to keep really filling the pot because I'll keep a, if I get a new client likelihood, if they like me and I like them, they're going to be around for a while. So, um, I think, I, I think what the other part that kind of like Travis, when you asked about, about carving a niche for yourself. I think it's actually giving a shit about your people. Like people don't really give like a shit anymore about like their customers. They just want the money versus actually establishing yeah. a relationship. If you actually establish a relationship with your customers, you will make a lot of money and people really, they, they, they're in it for the quick buck versus actually impacting that person's life. I mean, it can be as simple as like, like, we like if you talk about Amazon and Bezos and you know his thing is people want things cheaper and faster. I mean that makes things easier for people's lives. It's cheaper and faster. It's impacting that person's life. It doesn't have to be fitness, but if you if you go out to make sure that you improve the quality of that person's life and you genuinely care, people can see that. Because I mean you know it's 2020. I mean people can read bullshit pretty easily. So people can tell when you're real and when you're not. And I think that is the biggest one. I mean. Tom Parsons was a business mentor of mine when I was first starting. I met him in Hammerbodies as a client of mine. I trained him for a couple of years, and he told me, he, he asked me, or I, I asked him, what is the biggest thing that made you successful? He was a multimillionaire client that I trained. He had two businesses, did very well, and he retired in his, in, when he was like 61. And I, he said the, the only thing that separated me from, from all the other competitors here in St. Louis was the relationships that I established with my customers. They knew if they if they needed something, they could pick up the phone and call me. And if I didn't have the answer, I'd find the answer. So I was I, I, that's what I would say is, is relationships are so key. Hey, that was uh, that was an awesome answer. Go ahead, Steve. You gonna? No, I was gonna say real real quick one final question, and then uh, we do have to move on. Um, what's your ultimate goal with this, Brian, with this business? Um. I mean, as impacting as many people's lives as I possibly can. I know that's a, that's a vague answer. If if I had to give you like my uh, my dream answer, it would be to have um, a couple small facilities in the St. Louis area that specifically um, cater to the 50 and older population. I mean, there's so many seniors that are looking to try to stay um, active and overall just healthy, and there's really a big need in the market for it, and not a lot of people. Um, quite frankly, or really interested in working with the 50 and older population. It's not as it's not as flashy and cool. When I mean, you think of the fitness industry, you think of like you know the Rock, and you think of other fitness in big fitness influencers. You know, you think of like uh, the Biggest Loser and stuff like that. Jillian you Michael. think of people that are actually in shape. 
Yeah, I mean, you think about people that are actually going to say versus, you know, like, I mean, t tomorrow I'm going to be working with uh, three, th three different people who have totally different, each one of them has an underlying health condition. One has RA, one has uh, spinal, very bad spinal stenosis, and the other one has, um, is, is recovering. He's done with therapy, but he has um, very um, arthritic knees. So I'm, I'm dealing with three people of totally different things. And it's not, it's not cool and it's not sexy, but it, it's, it's, it's financially safe. There's a lot of um, problem solving involved with it. So that's where kind of, uh, um, I would say my, my, if I would say my ultimate goal would be to have a few small facilities to really help address the, the need of increasing the overall fitness and health of the 15 order population in St. Louis. That's, uh, that's awesome, man. I, uh, I'm glad we got a chance to break that stuff down. I think there's a couple of huge takeaways. I know personally, just, you know, like, like you're saying, fish where, fish where no one else is fishing. And I think that, um, if you're, you're out there and you're thinking about what your next move would be, that's a great advice. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, We've got a, a little bit of a spread out audience, so hopefully no St. Louis uh, personal trainers are out there trying to uh, steal your shit here. But uh, feel That's free right. if you're I'll, in another market. If you're in another market, have at it, and uh, we'll get to Brian's contact if you need it. Uh, <laughs> dude, the final the final topic that I'm really stoked to talk about is uh, I know one of your passions outside of um, personal training and physical therapy is. Uh, uh, is the stock market. And I know um, for anybody that's been following it, it has been just the most bizarre rocky road. Um, basically, this has been the wildest year since I've personally tracked it. And um, I, I still can't explain what's happening. This is just um, kind of just bizarre. It seems like new heights every day. And um, the rationale behind it makes me scratch my head. But without any further ado, I, I want to talk to you about um, how you got into, uh, into working, uh, directly into the stock market. I know it's a, a passion of yours. What are you looking at? What are some of the trends? Um, you know, let's, let's try to avoid stock picks in particular, unless yeah, you yeah, want to yeah. go down that path, uh, but I mean, just more overall, like yeah. market, uh, where we're at, what are you thinking and, and how are you personally investing your, your money just okay. in a general sense? Yeah. So, I mean, um, I, I originally got into um, into investing kind of like uh, I originally got into weightlifting when I was in high school, which is it's um, it's really not a very visual stimulating. So it's not like maybe like per se, like a tennis, right, where you have to track a very quick ball investing. You can do through an audio book. You can do you can do. I mean, like I said, with Zoom text, I'm able to zoom up the font so I can see it. So. It kind of interests me. That was the first thing that kind of intrigued me is because it was something I, I could do. And then the second one was when I said, uh, when, well, when I first got out of school and started working for Hammerbody, my first year because as a trainer, um, you're not salaried, you're outreach. So you have to build your clientele hours. So what I found was when I, well, when I first got out of school is I really wasn't making that much money. So I was like, how can I make the amount of money that I'm making now make more money for me? And I think what really also kind of drove that interest is camera bodies was a it was a very affluent place to be it was like i said there was a lot of high dollar executives and business owners and ceos that worked out there so i saw i, I kind of constantly was exposed to these people on a daily basis which i come from a very um 
middle income family, so I was never kind of exposed to these things. So it's kind of like, you know, how did they get here and what do they do? So that was kind of my initial thing um, into the stock market. And I think, I mean, a lot of people find it very speculative and which it can be, but I mean, the more I've read, the more I've learned, it's not, it just depends on the approach you, you take to it. I mean, I, I think today I've read about 200 books on the stock market and there is a clear difference between speculating and, and investing. I mean, a lot of people I know that, that invest personally, I mean, it'll be the same person will spend six months researching and going to different dealerships to buy a car, but somebody gives them a stock tip and they'll, they'll, they'll throw down three grand on their, on the stock. And I'm like, <laughs> isn't that something? Where, where is your, I like, like you're going to drop 20 grand on a car and it takes six months to do it. But somebody tells you to buy XYZ company and you don't even know what the hell they sell and you're going to throw cash down on it. So I think there's such a, when you listen to people like a Charlie Munger or a Warren Buffett, they're, there are so many people who really struggle with the long-term approach to investing. So the market right now, like you talked about, it, it makes no sense. I mean, unemployment is up. Um, the coronavirus is, is continuing to still be an issue. Um, and, and yes, I mean, they're, they're using, these stocks are hitting all-time highs, which makes no sense. I mean, I can't. I can't if, if Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger can't say why, then I sure as shit can't tell you why. But um I, th I think the so th that's really what initially interested me in the stock market was being able to take the money I currently had and make more money with it and seeing what it had done for the people I was never exposed to growing up, how it didn't impact their life uh, investing. So that's how I initially got into it. And I mean, the approach I take is I've got really so I started investing pretty much my first year when I was out of school. So 23. So I'm 31 now. So I've been doing what I when, when I first learned. And it was a couple of mistakes. I, made. I, I well, obviously there's mistakes I've made on the on the on the long way, but the biggest ones I I made mistakes on, and I've clearly learned from them, which I appreciate that I've done because the amount of money that I lost was not, in, in retrospect, that big of a deal. But I thoroughly didn't research the companies that I was investing into. Like when I say thoroughly investing, like I knew what they did, and I kind of had a rough idea of where they kind of were going. But as far as like I mean, Steve's a big baseball guy. I mean, you have a guy that comes up to bat that has a 300% batting average the last three years. Just because a business has had a good track record the last five years doesn't necessarily get they're going to mean they're going to have a good track record the next five years. Or, you, I mean, you don't know. So really stepping back and learning, like, how does a balance sheet work? Like, cash flow, like looking at cash flow, looking at the, um, the ROI, ROE, looking at their current ratio, debt to equity, really learning what these things mean as far as, is a company, are they growing with debt? That's a big problem. I mean, are, are, are they cash flow positive? What is their return on investment compared or return on equity compared to other businesses in their um, industry? I mean, most it, it, if you really take the time to pick out the correct investment, I'm not saying you will do well. I'm not saying I will continually to do, do well. Um, fortunately, the last several years, I've put a lot of effort into it and I have done pretty well, but um, I mean, most people aren't willing to, I mean, I'll listen to audiobooks on investing while I work out. I'll listen to them in the car when I'm going to and from work. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take notes, I'll highlight things and almost make like a cheat sheet of, uh, of, I'll read like the intelligent investors, what I'm rereading right now for like the fourth time. And I'll, I'll highlight things and I'll take notes like, like I'm studying for a test. So most people aren't really willing to do that. And if they're not, then honestly, then just buy index funds and you'll probably do fine. But if you, 
if you truly want to try to in the long term beat the market, um, you can't you 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 have a shot to do it, but it's going to take a lot of time. And if people aren't willing to put the time in to learn really the craft of, you're not buying a lot of like a lottery ticket. You're buying a business. When you buy into a company, you're you're essentially a business owner. You're a partner in that business. So you better know the ins and outs of financially and where that company is going. And um, like I said. We don't want to get into any specific stock picks. I mean, I I have been investing in July, June and July. There was some significant downs in the insurance industry um, in certain sectors, which I saw and took very I I took a big advantage of. And fortunately, they are going back up because tech is is really hot right now. And you know, like most people, like say our our brains are programmed a certain way. When we see that something's going up, we think it's going to keep going up. Well, you know, so, I mean, we're, we're so prone to we're, we're a FOMO missing out. Um, but, I mean, most times, you know, you see the stock get a new high. Well, the likelihood of it going up another 10% in the next month or a year from that is not too high. But if the stock is down 12%, financially stable company, uh, likelihood over the long term, if it has good management and good finances and good growth and good leadership, it's, it's going to keep growing. So that's where your buying opportunities are. It's not, it's not in always, you know, I mean... I don't want to, um, Travis, you don't have like stock in like, um, Uber, do you? No, no, okay. no, I so should That would be I, like uh... a perfect example. Like, like understand, like it's this hot new thing, right? Like Uber, it, it, they just IPO and everybody's like, Oh, it's Uber. But like, they haven't turned a profit since the CEO guy started no. it. So like, like, but most people don't know that when they buy Uber stock. So I think that no. is kind of like, I mean, so, I mean, I know you invest. I mean, what are kind of things you look at when you do it? Yeah, yeah. so I, I'm incredibly fascinated hearing you do a deep dive on that. Um, I uh, This may come as a shock, but I am a hands-off, what I would call a hands-off investor. Yeah. Um, and, and so as you, were, uh, as you were talking about doing research for individual companies, um, it is very, very rare that I invest individual companies. I am a... Uh, I have an automatic uh, deposit into a taxable account. It sets up every week, moves money in. I, uh, I buy index funds. Uh, there's about three or four of them that I buy, and I buy them on. Um, there's a method to the madness as far as trying to keep the weightings proper. My, you know, I want you know 50% of this, 40 of this, 10 and 10, or you know whatever it may be. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't do a lot of individual stuff. Occasionally, I'll dip into a dividend. Uh, stock from time to time, uh, thinking more like blue chip stuff. I like um, working in pharmaceuticals and medical sales it, 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 throughout my career. I have a uh, affinity more towards those types of companies just because I feel like I know more about them. I know the product specificity. I know, you know, when they're going to go generic and, and all these different things that can get kind of confusing from time to time. But I'm more index. So I love hearing you, you kind of break down, you know, the extensive research. And I, I just have been you know, for me, uh, you brought up Warren Buffett and I, I just view it like, you know, the index is the market, right? And if the market on average is going to return anywhere from eight to 10%, I can live with that. And I'm not looking to spend any to more time other than just buying index after index after index. And so that's how I look at it. But I loved your breakdown on the market, man. I'm, I'm with you. It's, um, it's Looney Tunes, right? Like yeah. Q2, Q2 and Q3 earnings should be just absolutely horrid, but yet every day is pushing through new heights. And it's like, 
what is going on, I don't know. But uh, at any rate, for, for the sake of Steve not to reach through this phone and uh, strangle me for talking too long on this topic, um, we probably need to wrap it up. So I'm going to pass it to Steve to put a bow on this whole thing so I don't get in trouble. <laughs> okay. I, I want to make sure we get a teachable moment out of this. So, Brian, in 30 seconds, because I will admit I am not good with this stuff. I've tried dabbling. I've Okay. Done good things, I've done bad things. Um, 30, 30 seconds or less, in your opinion, what is the one thing a beginner like me should do when it comes to kind of getting into this, when trying to get into the stock market? A beginner would do? Yeah. Like, what's the uh, one thing that you would suggest that someone like me, who's a very stupid novice when it comes to this stuff, do? Are you trying, are you trying to, I, I would, okay. I would say if I could pick one thing, I would think I would say to pick or or to take a step back and really look at yourself as a person, as how your patience level is and how you are emotionally as far as gains and losses in money. Because if you look at like um, a Warren Buffett or a Charlie Munger, um, these guys, I mean, the real wealth in, in this country, how people have become very wealthy as far as either in their businesses or um, in, in investing is they are very concentrated. And if you are not willing to have a very volatile portfolio from time to time or even year to year, then you probably should do uh, passive investing like Travis is doing, which is nothing wrong with that. I mean, nine times out of 10, those people will beat the market because they have low fees and they're consistently contributing. But if uh, you're interested in learning about businesses and you really enjoy it, which I do, that's why I honestly invest in stocks is because I enjoy learning. It helps me as a business owner too. Um, yeah. Then I would say learn, then understand where you are as emotionally as far as if you're okay with a volatile portfolio. If you are okay with it, then and you're okay holding for many years, then then I would say then then buy more in stocks. If you're not okay with having a volatile portfolio, then just buy index funds. It'll be fine. Yeah, I think right, that well, I, I would echo that. I would echo I just, that. That's I just wrote all that stuff down. So I'm going to become a stock market wizard here in the next next month. Just just you yeah. wait. I would uh, I would echo that. I think that was excellent advice. I I think that too many people get caught up in like there's a bunch of different <clears throat> shiny things out there, right? Like if you read the news, precious metals are big right now. So a lot of people are throwing money into gold and silver with no idea what's going on. They're just like, oh, I heard somebody buys gold, so we're just buying gold. Cryptocurrencies are huge. People are just like throwing cash at bitcoin yes yeah. no really clue what's going on they're just like oh bitcoin's up it's gonna go up to the moon here we go we're gonna throw money into it what b salad said or brian said excuse me is is very key you have to know you have to know your mindset and what you're comfortable with for me i want to know that when the market i can get a text or look at the market and see oh it's down a uh, point and a half today i know with a pretty good likelihood i'm down a point and a half that doesn't bother me what would bother me is if the market was up a point and a half, but I took a huge position in a company that's down 10% on the day and I'm not good with the volatility, what brought like Brian was talking about. So for me, I do indexes, keep it simple. And I don't have nearly as big of a passion for the, the research that you have to have if you're going to pick stocks like Brian is. So that's great right. advice, Brian. Cool. Before, I, before we kind of just get off that one time, I do want to say, I know you, I just know you said you don't, you don't pick stocks and it's a bad time to buy this stock. But Travis, since you're in the medical field, and Steve, you can look into it if you wanted to. But um, Travis, I think you'll find this very interesting because you are in the medical field. But there's a company called Intuitive Surgical. 
Oh yeah, yeah. They do the you know the robots. Yeah, they do the, the robots. Ro- the robot yeah, system, huge. surgical equipment, leaves yeah. invasive. It's a huge growing market, and um, they're they're a very financially stable company. So if you ever were looking into potentially yeah. buying a stock, I would look into that because it's just very interesting to learn about what they do. I love it, man. We could talk hours about this one. We'll probably have to do it after Steve hits the uh, end record button here, so we don't get in trouble. <laughs> Steve, take us home. I want the I want to end the episode on something that's fun. So, one of the coolest things about Brian, outside of his rap skills, for those who don't know, he used to do diss tracks. Um, Brian's a great storyteller. So. To close this out, and then we'll do after this, we'll do shout outs. B, I want you to tell on the spot. I, I didn't send this to you because I wanted this to be on the spot. Okay. Either your favorite story of myself or of Travis or of all three of us. Um, go. Favorite story. Uh... Or, or most memorable story. Because we, I mean, we've. We've, we, we, there's a bunch of them if you really sit down and think about it, but I, I mean, this will probably sound like a lame story, but, but I, I, it, emotionally it's not for me is, uh, those, uh, those dreaded days of, of popping the floats. But when we would spend times doing that shit for hours, it was just a really great time to just be able to talk and just learn about you guys and everybody else in the chapter. So I would say just the times like. It was like those simple times, like popping or just going to towers and just eating and hanging out and really just just getting to know you guys as a person. Um, I think those were like the most enjoyable times. I mean, obviously, you can talk about like random nights when you get drunk and you're chasing tail or whatever. But I mean, for, for me, honestly, it was it was specifically those times, honestly, is, is where you just spend time just really not or, you know, when you go do, um, or, you know, you do those crazy ass like intramural games or stuff like that but just really just the time where you're spending just hanging out with the guys dude that's a great answer i uh i was thinking about like how much time we spent just like all the bullshitting over the years at college like if you added it all up are we like six seven eight months into just bullshit consistent <laughs> yeah. bullshitting because oh, yeah. there was a heavy dose of that back in the day <laughs> how, how many how many hours at espn do you think you watched in those four years oh. of school? <laughs> a good amount a good amount <laughs> i will That's tell awesome. you I will say though, Brian, and, and and we there's a story that we always tell when we talk about this is you were literally my guy to call when it was time to go out in the middle of the week. You want to go to Pound Town? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then next thing you know, it's one o'clock. We're wandering streets. Um, all right. So I think that's about gonna gonna wrap it up. Um, Brian, thank you so much for coming on. I, I love your story. Um, we've We've been a part of your story for such a long time, um, so we really like sharing sharing it with the world. Um, I know that um, I think I believe you have a have a shout out for us. Uh, I do. B, is that right? I do. I do have a shout out. Um, there's a Dr. Wilson, uh, not like the uh, the volleyball from like uh, with uh, that movie with Tom Cruise with Tom Hanks, uh, but uh, <laughs> Castaway. Castaway. <laughs> Castaway. But Dr. Wilson was a physician so when I was a Missouri Baptist. Um, working when um, we had the big COVID outbreak initially, um, he had contracted COVID and um, he was up on the COVID floor and he was telling us a story 
about um, when he was working with a, a patient. He's a he's an ER physician at Cardinal Glenn Hospital, and this is just I just kind of want to bring some light and happiness to when all this um, kind of negativity and bad stuff is kind of going on right now. I mean, I, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but actually, uh, Reed he lost an aunt to COVID back in April. So oh, just no. kinda, really, yeah. oh my god, yeah. Um, she, she, she was she was a, a, a preschool teacher yeah preschool teacher and one of i don't know if a parent or kiddo got it and she somehow she contracted it but i kind of wanted to bring some happiness so that dr wilson had um he had contracted covid in was a missouri baptist and he told me the story that um the week prior to him getting admitted to missouri baptist uh a, a woman brought her infant into the er and uh, where, where he worked at Carter Glennon. And uh, the baby was a little light blue, and uh, she, she was saying, the mom was saying that the baby um, was having trouble breathing at times. So they, 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 they got him a room, and they were monitoring for a little while. And the, the, the Dr. Wilson was talking to the mom and just kind of about potential options of what he thought maybe was causing it or whatever. Well, the, the infant actually went into cardiac arrest, and they called a code blue, and they had 10 healthcare providers in there trading off doing CPR doing because you, when you it's an infant you have to do the two thumb CPR you can't actually do the chest compression with the hands it's just two thumbs they had three physicians and the rest were, the rest were nurses and they were trading off every two to three minutes doing compressions for an hour and 15 minutes now I don't know if you know but it is it is standard procedure for with CPR the physician can call it between 30 and 45 minutes they can call it and say no more and the other two physicians in the room said we need to call it the kid's not going to make it and dr wilson said this is my patient we're going to stop doing cpr when i say we're going to stop doing cpr and they did it for an hour and 15 minutes the kid the infant recovered and made a full recovery so there you go great story man that's incredible that is amazing um cool well that's a great that's god that's a great shout out um <laughs> So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. I do want to make sure that I mentioned because we really didn't talk about how to how people can reach you uh, for your for your for your business. Um, so, again, it's called Standard Health LLC. Yeah. Uh, all you have to do is go to standardhealthllc.com um, and and they'll have all the information that you need. It's got ways to contact you. Um, I know we didn't dive too much into what the process is like uh, to for that. I know that I've actually experienced it, so I know that it's actually very in depth, very thorough, and uh, helped get my ass into shape, at least at that that moment. Um, so please, please, everybody, go go check out that website. You can also find him on on Facebook as well, uh, Standard Health LLC. Um, Trav, do you got any uh, final parting words you want to talk about finance for like? <laughs> No, we'll uh, we'll save the listeners. I'll uh, I'll catch Bre uh, Brian off here uh, whenever we uh, hit the record button, and then we'll, uh, we'll finish <laughs> up. <laughs> All right. So good. thanks for doing this, B. This has been great, man. Absolutely. Thank we'll you. Love catching you. up and chatting with you. Yeah. We uh, we will definitely get you back on, and we'll talk we'll, we'll talk stock stock markets. Maybe I'll take that episode off or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, from everybody here at the uh, Happy Hour Hangout Podcast, we are signing off one more time. Cheers.